Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is John 14, 1 through 4. Don't be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My Father's house has a room to spare. If that weren't the case, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When I go to prepare a place for you, I will return and take you with me, so that where I am, you will be too. You know the way to the place I am going. Thomas asked, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I have really, if you have really known me, you will also know my Father. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father that we will be enough for us. Jesus replied, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been with you all this time? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I have spoken to you, I don't speak on my own. The Father who dwells in me does his works. Trust me when I say that I am the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on account of the works themselves. I assure you that whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. They will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask for in my name so that the Father can be glorified in the Son. When you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest as the rest of us are seated. What, whatever becomes of the church, uh, whatever becomes of this church, the hope is that we will become people marked by humility, by trust, by joy, and by hope. This is our focus um, in these weeks and in the sermon series. This morning we'll be talking about what it means to trust in God, what it means to be a people marked by trust in God. And what we discover this morning is that it's at times of crisis, times when the future seems most bleak, that God invites us to trust him the most. Um, It's at a moment of genuine crisis for the disciples of Jesus, national, communal, personal crisis, that Jesus tells them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Jesus asks his disciples to trust him even when the future seems like a thing of the past. Um, If you would, open your Bible uh, to John chapter 11. John 11. There's Bibles under your seats. I forgot to get the page number if somebody wants to call it out when you get there uh, to John 11. I want to show you how in the moments leading up to Jesus inviting his disciples to trust him, we encounter these three crises that they face. The nation of Israel, a little context, um, the nation of Israel was 
struggling to survive under the domination of the Roman Empire in the time of Jesus. They're struggling to survive, let alone to hold on to the identity and calling that God had given them as God's chosen people. And um, Israel's leadership was seized by fear when there, uh, a lot of people began to believe in Jesus, to believe that he was the Messiah and the King. If you look at um, chapter 11, verse 48, um, you'll see what they said in this council. You'll hear the fear in these words. Um, if we, the leadership, let him, Jesus, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And here's the fear. And the Romans will come and destroy both our holy place and our nation. Um, so they decide that the most politically expedient thing to do would that be that one man dies on behalf of the nation. That is, so that uh, Rome doesn't come in and destroy the temple and destroy them because of this sort of subversive, threatening movement happening. Um, and the Gospel of John tells us that this is an unintended prophecy, that one man die on behalf of the nation. It's a moment of political crisis. Will the people of God choose to seek their own survival or to receive the salvation that God is working among them, to risk the salvation? It was also a moment of internal communal crisis among the disciples. Uh, flip the page to John chapter 13, verse 21. As Jesus is sharing what would be his very last meal with his disciples, um, he began to look troubled. And he said to his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. John tells us the disciples looked at each other, uncertain of whom he spoke. Just imagine, imagine being there the confusion, the shock, the despair. It's not just that someone would betray um, the most wonderful person that you've ever met. It's that it will be one of your friends who will betray him, and you don't know who. Or perhaps it, perhaps it would be me. And if this wasn't enough, um, Peter, oh, Peter, um, Peter says, in effect, Jesus, if it comes to it because of whoever is betraying you, I will lay down my life for you. I will die for you. And Jesus says, actually, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. It's a moment of communal crisis. Will, will the faith of the disciples survive their betrayal and denial of Jesus? It's also a moment of personal crisis because Jesus has told his disciples that he is leaving and they cannot come with him. He's speaking to people who've given everything to follow him. They've left their homes, they've left their livelihoods, and now Jesus says, I am leaving you. In uh, verse 36, Jesus tells his disciples, where I am going, you cannot follow me. Not now, but you will follow afterward. Haunted by more questions than they can count. Where is Jesus going? Why can't we follow after him now? And, and if he goes, how will we find the way to him later? 
they didn't have cell phones, remember. <laughs> Will Jesus really return? Or are we abandoned like orphans? From the disciples' point of view, the future looked bleak. They're faced by national, communal, personal crises. I wonder what happens to your trust in God when you're faced with a similar situation, similar crises, similar questions. I wonder what it means for you to hear the words of Jesus as though they're addressed to you when he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. It's in sometimes the most difficult parts of our lives that um, trust it can feel the most threatened, the most at risk. It's also when trust perhaps has the most capacity to grow, to root more deeply in our lives. Um, actually, it's in those moments that God meets us in Jesus Christ, that God meets us in the crisis and uncertainty we find ourselves in and gives us the capacity to trust him. So what does trust in God really look like? What does it mean to trust God in the face of such crises as the disciples will face in his absence? What would it mean for us to be a church with whole, complete, full-fledged trust in Jesus? I mean, can you imagine what that would be like? Um, I recently heard somebody say, um, and you can go to the next slide, um, I recently heard somebody say that um, they described trust like this. They said, trust means giving as much of myself as I know to as much of Christ as I know, to give as much of myself as I know to as much of Christ as I know. I really like that description of what happens when we trust God. Um, I like it because my, my trust is imperfect, it's insufficient, I know it's lacking in some ways, it needs to be shored up in some places, but even still, in the little faith that I have, I can give myself completely over to Christ, to give as much of myself as I know to as much of Christ as I know. And I also really like how um, it shows that my relationship to Christ in trust is all tangled up with my knowledge of myself, uh, with who I am. Um, I can't really easy, easily separate those things. Um, and I often forget exactly who I am. Um, I, I forget that uh, I am one of God's own children, one whom God has called by name, a person sometimes miserable because of my own sin or the sin of others, but also a person redeemed and, and being healed by Jesus. I need to remember that. But trust is giving as much of myself as I know to as much of Christ as I know. Uh, about this time last week, uh, we were, I was at a Psalms retreat with a number of people from this church and from a number of pastors from around Long Beach. And I was walking to dinner with one of these pastors, and he asked me this sort of playful question that I, I admit I found a little bit odd. Um, he said, Will, so tell me, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, and I felt okay giving an answer that was somewhat odd. Um, and I said, well, 
I suppose I would like to be a Christian when I grow up. It's not that I'm not a Christian now, I am by the grace of God, but it's just that I'm still growing up into it. Um, uh, trust in God is a journey. It's something we grow into. It's giving as much of myself as I know to as much of God as I know, to as much of Christ as I know. And I want to suggest that there's basically three parts of us that we can come to know and give over to Christ. Three parts. Our hearts, our minds, and our gut. Um, in other words, trust in God involves how we act, our, our hearts. It involves how we think, our minds. And it involves how we feel in our gut, uh, the deep, deep feeling. And this is exactly what Jesus' remarkable words with his disciples are about when he invites them to trust. He appeals to their heart, their mind, and their gut, um, their action, their thought, and their feeling. Um, the way we go, the truth we see, and the life we so deeply desire. Um, that is complete trust. It's, if trust is lacking in any of these parts, and there's yet more of yourself that you can come to know and give to Jesus, I thank God for that. God um, would have us trust him with our hearts so that our trust translates into faithful action. Jesus tells us in, in uh, verse 12 of chapter 14 that everyone who trusts in him will do the works that he does. Everyone who trusts in him will do the works that he does. The faith that we are to hold, the trust that we hold in God is to be a living trust. It's, it's um, to live in our lives. Or as James says, this is sort of the opposite. Some of us are reading James right now in life groups. Faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity. Our trust in God should be visible. It should be seen in how we live and what we do. Just this last week, I don't know if you're watching the news, um, there's an African Christian named Dr. Dennis Mukwege who was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, he's a doctor from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and uh, he spoke about how, as a child, uh, his father was a Pentecostal minister. As a child, he would travel with his father to go and meet the sick and pray with them. And one day, as a young boy, he asked his father, um, why don't we also give them medicine? And his dad said, because I'm not a doctor. <laughs> he said, um, on that day, his vocation was born. After becoming a doctor, um, Dr. Mukwege returned to the Congo and began a hospital. And he returned to the Congo at a time of genuine national political crisis, uh, at a time of war. Um, and one of the instruments of war where he was at that point was sexual violence. Uh, sexual violence became a weapon of war, uh, a way that men exercised power and lust over women. So Dr. Mukwege began to offer holistic treatment for women who suffered from sexual violence. He offered medical treatment, but also 
psychological, economic, social, and legal assistance, all for the healing of these women. No wonder he won the Nobel Peace Prize. And at a conference he was at, he spoke about how his trust in God fit into how he lived. Here's what he said. The quote is on the screen. Probably you've been reading it. He said, As long as our faith is defined by theory and not connected to practical realities, we shall not be able to fulfill the mission entrusted to us by Christ. We're not here to rewrite the Bible and fit it into the present-day world. We're here to believe in the credibility of the gospel in the 21st century, to release the grace given us by making the church a beacon that is still shining in this world of darkness, by fighting for justice, truth, right, freedom, in short, the dignity of men and women. Wow. This is trust in God made visible in a human life, living trust. Trust is public responsibility. Sometimes we think of trust as, as a private, personal affair. It's, um, it happens in church, it happens in the home, but nowhere else. Um, Dr. Mukwege looked at his nation at a time of political crisis and thought, how do I respond to God in trust here, where women are being treated with less than the dignity God has given them, having made them in the image of God? Anywhere where women are treated with less than that dignity is in need of redemption and healing. And he stepped into that. Now, um, some of you might be wondering, uh, Christians have sometimes put faith and works in opposition. Uh, the opposite of faith is works. Um, we've heard, and this is true, uh, we are justified by faith alone, apart from any works. That's Martin Luther and the reformers, Christian reformers. Later Christians took this to mean that faith really is that internal, private um, affair. It's connected to the sphere of religion. It, it doesn't really have to do with how you live. But even Martin Luther recognized that saving faith works itself out in good works. It becomes visible faith in the world. It's public responsibility before God. Um, so it is to be with us. Um, Everyone who trusts in Jesus, Jesus tells us, does the works that he did. Um, Jesus does his works through us. Um, it struck me hearing about Dr. Mukwege. Um, Jesus healed. He, he touched and healed one woman, a, a hemorrhaging woman, a woman with gynecological issues. Dr. Mukwege has touched and healed tens of thousands of women. Um, it just, there's something profound in that. Um, uh, the touch of a man healing women from sexual violence inflicted by other men. Um, everyone will, who trusts Jesus will do the works that he did, practicing redemptive love even to the point of suffering. We need to give as much of our heart as we know to as much of Christ as we know so that our lives 
will reflect and align with the gospel we believe. Are you with me so far? Okay. We also need to know about who we trust in order to live our trust in God. And so God would have us trust with our minds. Trust in God involves learning. It involves making connections, trying to make sense of reality, make sense of our everyday lives in light of God's truth. Uh, this is what I like to call theological imagination, seeing the world with eyes of faith. And that means the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. Being certain of something, being intellectually certain of something, means that you have nothing left to learn. There's nothing left to surprise you. There's nothing that can be different than what you already think, not even God. Any person with that kind of certainty is incapable of trust. And there's actually there's religious versions of that vice, and there's secular versions of that vice. A disciple of Jesus can never be intellectually certain of everything because the word disciple means a person who is disciplined in learning, a person who is always learning. Certainty is the end of learning. And besides, God is absolute. God is eternal, and we are creatures. We have intellectual limits, and, and those are actually good. We need to embrace those. Certain doubts, intellectual doubts, can actually be taken as opportunities for us to learn a little bit more about who Christ is so that we can give a little bit more of ourselves to him and trust. Um, and notice in our passage how when Jesus speaks to Philip in verse 9, he's concerned not only with what Philip believes or what, or what he trusts, he's also concerned with what Philip knows. And, and it's clear that Philip's sort of on a, a journey of learning. I imagine um, some levity in Jesus' face, in his face and in his voice when he says, have I been with you so long, Philip, and you still don't know me? We're continually learning on our way to Jesus. So don't let your doubts unsettle you too much. Um, one of the great theologians of the 20th century advises us not to take our unbelief or doubts too seriously, because in his words, if we have grain even as a, if we have faith, even as small as a mustard seed, that suffices for the devil to have lost his game. Faith is the thing to be taken really seriously, in other words. Part of what trusting God with our minds involves is recognition, recognition that Jesus Christ is the truth. It's, it's not that Jesus Christ is one truth among others. Uh, triangles have three sides. Pie is objectively better than cake. And Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, you know, not one truth among others. Um, it's that Jesus is the truth the universal truth that creates all truth, the first truth, which is also the final truth. Uh, 
whether we're, what's, what's happening in those statements of Jesus is the truth, not one truth among others, but the ultimate truth. Um, it's that whether we're aware of it or not, whether we can fully comprehend it or not, God has created all things in Jesus Christ. He's created us in Christ. He's um, spoke creation into being by the word of his mouth, and John tells us that word was Jesus Christ. And that means Christ is the key to knowledge and understanding who we are in the created world and who we are before God. The most beautiful thing about this is who we come to know. The God who created us and created all things, who's almighty, also promises in Jesus Christ to show us mercy, grace, and love. When we come to know God in truth, we know the promise to us in Jesus Christ. And that's why while faith doesn't rule out doubt, it does rule out suspicion. We can trust that what we learn from Christ is true, that it's, it's good. Um, Christ gives us knowledge for living, which is called wisdom, and that's good. We can trust what we learn with Christ. Um, trust with our minds means giving as much of ourselves as we know in light of God's truth to as much of Christ as we know because God has revealed himself to us in Christ. God would also have us trust him with our gut, the, the center of our, our deepest feeling. Um, it's, it's trusting God with your gut is to have this sort of this deep sense of dependence on God in all things. It's a confidence in God's promises. It's an intuition about what really leads to the life of God. And in this sense, the opposite of trust is fear. It's fear of abandonment, fear of punishment, fear of loss. Ultimately, it's fear of death and the loneliness it brings. We, we feel this fear deep in our gut, don't we? It's visceral. It's, if anybody gets too close to it, you, your stomach begins churning. We carry that around with us all the time. and it's, it's a quiet and powerful force in our lives that shapes how we live. It, it begins to, to close us down to things that are unknown, to close us down to others that might threaten the things that we love. Uh, it shuts us down to to people or things that might remind us of our fears, including our own fear of death. Um, I, I think that one of the roles of a pastor uh, is to remind you, just with, gently and, and with love, that um, you will die, but that you don't need to be afraid because Jesus Christ has made a way through death into eternal life. You don't need to fear. You can trust God in the deepest part of you in spite of everything to the contrary. Jesus speaks to our gut in moments of crises and uncertainties and fear when he says in verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. 
Trust in God. Trust also in me. Verse 3. I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. Jesus has made a way through death. He's, He's made a way through loneliness toward life with God that can never be taken away in the company of saints and the whole of renewed creation so that we will never be totally alone. Not now, certainly not then. And there's a decision to be made here as we trust God in our gut. A decision to reject our fear of death and to trust that Jesus Christ is Lord in dying and in living, in his absence and his presence, to trust him come what may. And then the same way that fear quietly and powerfully shapes our lives and shuts us down to other people, trust in God will open us up, give us courage in the face of fear, help us live toward Jesus Christ and give the grace and love that he wants to show um, to the people in our lives. Um, I've experienced this kind of trust personally, and I say it that way because um, when you trust God in your gut, it's almost, um, you almost aren't totally aware of it all the time. Um, You don't really notice it until later. Um, It was a moment of personal crisis for me. My mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease in 2010, and I was an only child. I was raised by a single mother, and so I would become her sole caretaker along with the woman who became my wife until she died in January of this year. And amidst all the pain and anxiety and loss and grief that I experienced in those years, um, there was also just this deep sense in my gut that there was more to those years than just diagnosis, decline, and death. And that whatever happened with my mother's memory, she would be held in God's memory. Um, It's only in retrospect, really, that I I was able to see how that gut-level trust carried me along through that um, and made my presence and time with my mother not only possible but rich and beautiful. Um, I'd see her every week or every other week, and we would pray together. Trust in the gut means giving as much of yourself as you know to as much of Christ as you know, even in spite of everything to the contrary. What does trust in God look like, especially when the future looks bleak, especially when we face moments of national, communal, or personal crisis? It means giving as much of ourselves as we know to as much of Christ as we know, and that involves our heart and our mind and our gut, our action, our thought, and our feeling. 
Um, sometimes when we're in those situations, we think to ourselves, you know, I just, I just need to trust God more. I just need to trust God more. But it's hard to actually identify what it would look like to trust God more. Uh, maybe you can relate to that. And so, um, in light of some of what we've worked on together this morning, I want to sort of think about how, um, how our lives might look when um, our trust is lacking in some way, or to put it a positive way, where, where our trust is more capacity to grow. And these are sort of caricatures, but um, they're exaggerated to maybe help you um, diagnose um, where you have capacity to grow in your trust. Um, so this is not about judgment. Please don't take it that way. Um, yeah, here we go. If you trust God with your mind and your heart, but not your gut, then you're always going to be holding some anxiety. Um, you will know Christ. You'll want to worship him. Um, uh, you, your heart will, will want to follow after Christ. You'll be trying to walk in his ways and live a life of holiness. But without that gut-level trust, the assurance of God's salvation, you'll always feel a little anxious, a little troubled, unsettled. Um, is God disappointed in me? Have I not measured up? Have I not been good enough? And if we don't have that, that gut-level <laughs> sense of trust in God, um, it can also mean that our, our following after him with our heart um, will never be as sacrificial as it could be. Um, if we trust God uh, with our mind and our gut, but not our hearts, not our centers of action, then, then we'll, be in, we'll, we'll carry a little bit of apathy with us. Um, we will uh, be passionate about um, worshiping God will have great assurance of our salvation so that we can walk through life without fear. But our lives in the world will be difficult to distinguish uh, from people who are like us but who are not Christians. Um, our lives won't be enacting the beauty of the gospel. Um, our only way of... I'm going to be a little tough on this one because this tends to characterize not just this church, but um, churches like us. Um, uh, our only vision for interacting with the world as Christians can become one of judgment. Um, the world doesn't believe as we do, um, and that's wrong. And finally, if, if we believe with, with our heart, the center of action, and our gut, the center of feeling, then we're going to be passionately devoted to, to seeking justice for the glory of God, to, to caring for those in need, and, and to do so with great conviction. But if we aren't trusting with our mind and remembering that salvation for the world was enacted through God's work in Christ, then we'll inevitably become angry angry at the people who stand in the way of the salvation we are trying to bring about. Um, for a variety of reasons in 20th century America, a Christianity passionately devoted to knowing and worshiping Christ came to be seen as incompatible with a Christianity passionately devoted to working for justice for those in need. That's not how it should be, friends. Um, Jesus wants us to trust him with our whole hearts, our whole minds, and our whole gut. Uh, 
it's really unfortunate. I think it's sort of a trick of the devil that we judge other Christians for not sharing our same lack of faith. Um, oh, those Christians are all about works for God. How horrible. Um, oh, those Christians are all about worshiping Jesus. How awful. Really? Um, we have more room to grow in trust, each of us personally. And the truth is, maybe there's a handful of people in this room who have, whose trust has matured in all of those areas. And I don't know this, but maybe those are all older people, <laughs> because it really can take a lifetime to get there. And so, uh, in a moment, actually, there will be space to reflect on, on where your trust is the capacity to grow personally. Um, and I hope you continue to reflect on that in the days, weeks, months, years, decades to come. But in the meantime, I, I want to say this. We really need each other for a complete, whole trust in God. In the meantime, before we're all getting there, we really need each other. We need to be involved in each other's lives enough to, make, to carry each other along in our trust in God, to make up for one another's lack of faith. Um, and we need to see that as something that we offer to each other in love, not as occasion for judgment. Uh, okay? Are you with me on this? Can we do this for each other, maybe, to help one another trust in God wholly, completely, with heart, mind, and gut, uh, to see that as something we offer to each other? I think that's what it will take for us to be marked by trust in God. I want to say just one more thing. Perhaps one day, all of us will come to trust God with heart, mind, and gut. But there's something more. That something more is a beautiful mystery. Um, it's that trust isn't just something I do. Uh, grace is a gift from God to me, yes, but trust, I'm all on my own on that one. Um, trust, our trust, our capacity to trust Jesus comes to us as a gift from God. Therefore, it's something that we pray for. Jesus says to us, in the moment he tells us about trust, anything you ask the Father for in my name, I will do it. We can ask God to give us trust. Um, trust is not our action alone. It's made possible by God's trust with us, God's faithfulness with us, the faithfulness of God in Jesus Christ. And that's what I think Jesus means when he says in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I think um, this sentence, we've, we've taken it in the wrong mood. Um, maybe you've heard it before quoted, and often it can be very defensive. There's only one way to salvation, and that's Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's sort of taken as a warning. But I think the mood of these words, as Jesus speaks them to his disciples, is one of comfort, of assurance, of assurance of Jesus' presence even in his absence. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I think he's saying that wherever trust happens, there is a meeting point between us and God. When we trust with our heart, when we're trusting God in our actions, um, it's not as though we're journeying toward Jesus, but really he's still a long way away. Jesus says, I am the way. 
when we live faithfully, Jesus comes, becomes very near to us. When we begin to see our lives with eyes of faith, we encounter more of the ultimate truth of God and Jesus Christ in our everyday then we've come to meet and know Jesus, the truth. And when we trust God in our, our gut, when we have a deep feeling that just draws us toward God's life, then we find that what we've really come to desire is Jesus, who is life himself. And that's why, friends, we don't need to be too troubled by our doubts or our insufficient faith, why faith really can be a journey for us, uh, why just a mustard seed of faith is enough to defeat the devil. It's because God adds his own faith to our faithfulness. He adds his own promise. And that promise is nothing less than Jesus Christ, the way the truth, and the life. Thanks be to God.